the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. All right. You know, I'm torn. Some days I want to live. Some days I don't. And, you know, the the thought is, you know, it's really kind of nice. The sun's out. It's beautiful. But then I have to look at the people that I live around. Has everybody gone crazy? Democrats uh, during the Kavanaugh hearings at least are being transparent here. Um, Let's look at what's happening. I'm amazed how the left is giving the entire country a direct insider look on how they go about business. Look at the confirmation charade here. It has everything. It has mic check, mic check to shout down your opponents, political grandstanding to gain favor for future elections. I mean, if you you want to talk about virtue signaling, I am smart, case. Then shady plots involving big money donors that are just advancing progressive agendas. False accusations that we, we, we at least at least accusations that there's no way to prove them. This is a look at social justice, period. This is the way America is going to work. If you fall in line with the left. And you think, you know what? We got some real hope and change coming. This is it. This is what your life is going to be like on all levels. It's open for everyone to see. They don't really even appear to you know, give a crap about hiding it anymore. Let's let's take the allegation um, from, you know, Dr. Ford. Grassley has given Ford until tomorrow to commit to a testimony that will be conducted in the next 72 hours. He wants it complete by Monday so they can move on with a committee vote. But Ford and her lawyer are now delaying. They want the FBI to do an investigation. Okay, well, that's not the way the law works. And by the way, maybe that's what should have happened in the first place. Maybe when you had this accusation, you should have gone to the Maryland police before you wrote a letter to the good senator. The good senator, when she got the letter, she should have said, Maryland State Police, you should look into this. It's a state crime, not a federal crime. By the way, it's a state crime that appears to have a statute of limitations of one year. But that's the way it works. You don't come out and make this public accusation, lay out all of these charges, have zero evidence, and then say... Oh, by the way, I'm going to let that smear hang out here. I'm not going to answer a single question uh, until the FBI do their job, which, by the way, this is not the FBI's job. It's a delay tactic. So why? Of course we know why. Democrats want this delayed as close to the November midterms as possible. They study history just like everyone else. When this Nearly identical scenario happened with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill back in 1991. It triggered what is now known as the Year of the Woman in the 1992 elections. Feinstein, the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, was a product of that surge. 
Let me say that one again. Feinstein, you know, the woman who got the letter, whose peer's office leaked the letter. She got into office because of Anita Hill. The Ford accusation reveals a lot more than just that. Back in August, a large group of left-leaning groups co-signed a letter to both Senator Feinstein and Grassley demanding Kavanaugh's records. It was basically the same narrative that Cory Booker and Kamala Harris were using during the opening day of the confirmation hearing. Okay, this group demanded they had organized to stop Kavanaugh. One of the groups that co-signed this letter was called the Project on Government Oversight, or POGO. Who's the vice chairperson of POGO? That's a woman named uh, Deborah Katz. Yes, the same Deborah Katz. She's now the lawyer for Kavanaugh's accuser. Don't worry, this gets even more ridiculous. Pogo, directly funded by, guess who? Spooky dude, George Soros, the Open Open Society Foundation. Soros has his fingerprints all over this. In June, the Daily Caller reported that a group uh, called Demand Justice had launched an effort to try to stop Kavanaugh's confirmation. They allocated $5 million to the project. Want to take a guess where they get their money? Yeah. Well, no, uh-uh, not Soros. They get it from the 1630 fund. The 1630 fund gets their money directly from George Soros and the Open Society uh, uh, Center. So that's, you know, it's, uh, what was that uh, money laundering? Uh, play? Oh, yeah, uh, Tides Foundation. They're used to this kind of stuff. Recently, they've given over $2 million dollars. Uh, from the George Soros fund. We're we're seeing play-by-play, almost in slow no- motion, everyone can see it, a live hit job. For anybody who thought that Netflix House of Cards was fiction, was over the top, was ridiculous, I urge you to go back and watch it again and tell me that doesn't look like Little House on the Prairie compared to what's happening in real life today. It's Thursday, September 20th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So, Stu, I want to give you the choice of where we begin today. We can, I, I've got more on Kavanaugh and some really good stuff on, you know, understanding what's really happening. But I also have... A, uh, a, a, a woman who works at the Maine Lobster Pound, mm-hmm. uh, who is now offering to sedate the lobsters with marijuana before they're boiled. <laughs> so she, she wants to get the lobsters baked before they're boiled. Mm-hmm. Because mm. surely uh, it would become an enjoyable experience to be boiled alive after you yes. smoke a little pot. At that point, it's Thank totally you. fine. Thank you. What does pot do? It makes you paranoid. Right. So now the poor lobsters are like, I know they're coming for me. I know they're coming for me. <laughs> well, I got news for you. They're, lobsters they're should coming. be they're coming. paranoid. Lobster, this is something <laughs> yeah. lobsters need to develop a lot better. More paranoia. <laughs> they are coming for you. They're going to boil you in water. 
Run, scamper away. Do you remember that political cartoon? It's one of my favorite. I wish I could get it. I wish I could get the original and blow it up. I don't even remember which uh, um, uh, opinion uh, person did it. But there was this this big uh, picture of a lobster tank, you know, a cartoon of a lobster tank. And one guy said, one lobster says, I'm telling you, they're taking us out of the tank. They're boiling us and they're eating us. And the other lobster says, you got to stop watching Glenn Beck. (laughs) (laughs) That's an all-time classic. (laughs) I love that. Uh, So anyway, so you decide. Should we go to Kavanaugh or should I give you the uh, story of the uh, lobster? The lobster. Oh, I, I think. It, I mean, I think we got to go. Kavanaugh. Uh, excuse me, we got to go lobster because <laughs> you gotta I got to go lobster. I, yeah, because I, 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 I have stuff on Kavanaugh too that's driving me crazy. <laughs> We've got to do that. Um, but mm-hmm. but the lobster we'll thing is too, is too big. Yeah, we also have uh, <laughs> we have the director of the new movie uh, Gosnell. Uh, I've seen it. I saw the movie a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I have to tell you, this story needs to be heard. I mean, I thought I knew that story. Oh my gosh, is that an amazing story. And I have news also on that from uh, NPR, which is very, very interesting. Okay, so there's cage-free chickens, cage-free eggs, range-free chickens, grass-fed cows, meat eaters who, um, who you know, are doing everything they can to, you know, lessen the guilt about eating a chicken. Well, I... I want to eat this chicken, but how many square feet did it grow up in? <laughs> I mean, yes, I agree. I mean, I don't eat veal for that. I don't want my I don't want my cows tortured so they're a little more tender. You know, I don't know. Not quite tender enough. Could you just keep that cow in a box from the day it was born for me? I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but uh, okay. So here is uh, in in Southwest Harbor, Maine. Charlotte Gill, that's an interesting name for a woman who runs a fish store. Charlotte Gill uh, runs Charlotte's Legendary Lobster Pound. Uh, And she is now getting the lobsters high before boiling them alive. She said, I feel bad when lobsters come here and there's no exit strategy. Okay, first of all, hang on just a second. Charlotte, the lobsters aren't coming there. (laughs) They've been <laughs> captured. It's not like a lobster walks in the door, ding, ding, the door, the doorbell goes off. They walk in. Oh, we've got customers. No, they're lobsters. They've come in for something else. It's like, it's, it's, that? it's like the late 1700s. There's a lot of African tourists that are coming to our land. Have you noticed <laughs> right. that lately? These, these tour ships are showing up. <laughs> like, no, that's not why. That's not what those are. No. Sir. Sorry. I feel bad when lobsters come here. She owns this place. Hmm. I feel bad when lobsters come here and there is no exit strategy. I got news for you. There is an exit strategy. You boil them and we eat them. That's the exit strategy. Can I tell you something? I'll bet you she's inherited. I bet you this was her father's or her family's thing, do you think? And And she's grown up her whole life, you know, being torn. I mean, look, I, you know, this is, uh, you've been saying the veal thing ever since I've known you, that you don't yeah. eat it for that reason. And as uh, America's only conservative vegetarian, uh, I would say that uh, most of the time I, you know, whatever, you know, people like to goad me into these conversations about this stuff because it's fun. 
But mm. the, the lobster thing's insane, guys. We're throwing them alive into boiling water. It's completely nuts. I, there are a million... <laughs> what are you like, going to do? Shoot them? Yes. Anything. <laughs> like, first of all, I would argue, of course, the answer to that would be no. But still, if you're going to kill them, putting them into boiling water is completely nuts. Do we have some vendetta against these things? Like, we... Do, did they... Did, did Are they responsible for, like, the Adam and Eve thing? And I'm not aware of it? Were they in... No, here's the thing. Come on, you know this. If they weren't living under cover of water... We'd all be exterminating them. We'd be terrified. If they were crawling out, yeah, they if they were crawling out from underneath your refrigerator, we'd not be eating them. No. We'd be exterminating. Which them. is another weird thing. If it's if, oh no, if you, you had a freaking red hungry. bug walking through your house like that, you're not bringing. You're not going to oh, let's put it in the oven or let's boil <laughs> it and eat it. That would be weird. Right. I never my my daughter Mary when she was very young. I went on vacation up like you know Nantucket or, or Cape Cod or someplace like that. And uh, and I we went we bought lobsters and I put them down on the floor and let them crawl and Mary freaked out. She was like, "You're not going to make me eat bugs. I won't eat bugs. I won't eat bugs." <laughs> That's really what they are, man. How hungry were you to go? I don't know, that big thing that just crawled out of the water. What do you say we eat that? Yeah, I know, and I think that's it. I think because they're so ugly and creepy, we're like, sure, we can go all Hannibal Lecter on them. Let's just boil them. Like, it's, there, there's every, we hear this, you know, the, well, I don't want to, uh, I, I, we're going to hunt uh, with, uh, you know, so we don't want to be cruel. And, and you put all these things in place. And like, lobsters were like, ah, just rip them out. You know what? Let's put them all in a cage and let's look at cl- nice and close to the, the little tank and we'll meet them all before we throw them in the boiling water. We, <laughs> we as a society despise those things. <laughs> let me let me ask you this, though, Stu. Seriously. Okay. Let's just say you're... You, I, I don't know what your plan is. We electrocute mm-hmm. them. I mean, what well, is your plan? I would, I would pl- my plan would be not to eat them at all, as I think you're aware. But still, if you're going to do it, it needs to be something else other than boiling them. We don't boil any anything else. We don't be like, hey, cows, here's a giant vat of water. Get in. And then, oh, they're <laughs> nice and boiled. Let's put them in stew. We don't handle anything else like that. I don't understand why they're like, it's like you could hear them making all the noises and they're trying to climb out. And we're like, oh, this is okay. It's a weird thing as a society that we do. There's a few of them. You've pointed out the veal thing. The foie, foie gras is... Foie is, gras is another it, thing. I love foie gras. Will not eat it. That is I mean, just horrible. There's a few of them. If anybody doesn't know how they make foie gras... They tie, they, they force feed a, a goose and then they tie their neck closed. And so their liver becomes diseased. So they're, they're I mean, it's just, they it's force horrible. feed them. Right. They force feed them. It's, it's and got- again, who said, you know, what would make this goose liver a little better <laughs> is if we jam all this food and then we put a rope around its neck, let it live and it will become diseased. Ick. Yeah, that is. Uh, it's like it's as if Only we decided. The French. It's like as if we decided they were like responsible for the Nazi movement, and we're just like extracting revenge over multiple decades. It's just, it might have been the Nazis. It well, might Gustav, have been the Nazis. There is Gustav. That's right. Maybe it might have been. It might have been. You know, one of the lesser known Nazi doctors that were like, "How can I make diseased liver into something yummy?" <laughs> that does sound like a Nazi experiment. <laughs> it really it does. does. It really does. All right. Chef um, Mengele instead of doctor. Back, yeah, back with uh, more here in a second because you have to hear how she gets them high. 
Um, or we'll move on to the Brad Kavanaugh story in a second. First, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It is uh, My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is uh, uh, is going to be one of these things where they're going to stop delivering the specials soon, I think, because everybody's going to go, yeah, you know, maybe I should do that. What happens when uh, what happens when the Democrats win uh, the House? Just play this out in your head. What happens when they win the House? Stu, guarantee what do you think the House is first on their agenda and they will do with or without evidence. They will yes. attempt to impeach and probably succeed to impeach the president of the United States. OK, then it has to go to the Senate. The Senate will not convict the president. It'll end like Bill Clinton. But it is going to throw our country into chaos. Financial. The financial sector now is already on the edge. What happens when uh, the world looks at us and goes, they are, uh, they're, they're, they're unhinged. Who takes advantage of that? What happens to our economy? It's, we are headed toward real trouble, especially because we've got a bunch of people who want to tear down the Western world. Hello? May I suggest you call My Patriot Supply and prepare. Come out of your little lobster shell for a second and realize, yeah, that one guy, even if he could save us, is on the ropes. Is on the ropes. So, they have everything, including emergency survival food kits, gravity-powered water filtration systems. It's all at MyPatriotSupply.com. They've got a great special right now happening at MyPatriotSupply.com. Do it now. Sleep well. MyPatriotSupply.com. All right, Stu. Mr. Beck. We could go We could go to Brett Kavanaugh. Um, actually, I no, could we, fit no, we can't. We can't go to Brett Kavanaugh because you have not explained about the pot smoking. Well, lobster. I was going to say, I could continue the lobster story. Yes. Or, or I could give you the story that um, has in it the statement from the police, the chief of police, uh, putting that dead, quote, putting that dead whale in the dumpster. Yes, it was a mistake. <laughs> Okay, you sold me. I want to hear about the dead whale in the dumpster. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Ready? Uh, when workers misjudged the size of a dead whale they were trying to put into a dumpster, the 4,000-pound carcass fell to the ground. Uh, they, uh, they realized it was too big for the dumpster, and video shows it flopping onto the concrete in the parking lot oh, no. in Rye, New Hampshire. It was all... Uh, caught on camera. Wow, it was just terrible, says a resident. The whale washed ashore. Experts say they likely died after getting tangled in fishing lines. Um, they added insult to injury when they tried to move it. They put it. They put it into a, a dumpster, and you have to see the picture. It's this gigantic whale, and they're. Trying to jam it into this dumpster, it clearly doesn't. It's not. <laughs> nobody would think that's going to fit. Uh, the ch- chief of police, Kevin Walsh, said, "Yeah, that was a m- quoting. Yeah, that was a mistake. It shouldn't have happened. I take full responsibility. We shouldn't have tried to put that dead whale in a dumpster. <laughs> it was a mistake." 
We all have our days. I mean, you know, it happens. I swear to you, I thought it would fit. <laughs> I just, we went back in the back of the supermarket and what are you going to do with a dead whale? Okay. So, Stu, I, I just tweeted the lobster, uh, the, I'm not sorry, not the lobster story, the whale story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, have you seen the video? Did you go to go to my uh, okay. Twitter account and at Glenn, at Glenn Beck, Beck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. and uh, just just look at the whale story. Now here's the thing: they've taken a whale. Now the sheriff said it was a mistake. <laughs> Sorry, we were trying to put this whale in a dumpster, and uh, you know that was a mistake. And the reason why he's saying this is because people were videotaping them taking this big bulldozer and picking up this whale off the beach and driving it to, like, you know, behind the grocery store mm-hmm. and just dumping it into the into the dumpster. So now, is- it's clear the whale has rigor mortis because it's flat as a board and does not move. Right? Okay. Have you seen it yet? Well, uh, let's see. I'm getting commercial. Oh, God. I'm getting a computer issue is what I'm getting. Thank you. Awesome. You, would you please buy Apple, please? This is an Apple. It's not the, It's not Apple's fault. It's the website. It's just playing the commercial over and over again. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's going to take me a minute. But go ahead. Uh, so Because they, they are okay. taking the... Uh, they're taking. I can see okay. the picture of it, and it does okay, not so. look like it would have made any sense to attempt this. <laughs> right? It's, it's, in, it's bigger than the bulldozer's loader. Yes. All right? It's it's barely in that. It's like it's and like so, it looks like a, a a a mini dealership recommended one of their cars to Michael Moore. Is what it looks like. Exactly <laughs> no, right. This car's not okay. for you, Mike. It's not going to fit. Right. It's not. You're not going to fit. It's not going to fit. As they're squeezing him in, all the all of the salespeople are just pushing his fat into the car. Like, it's not going to fit, guys. It's not going to fit. Okay, so this is flapping out the back windows. It's like pushed right. up against the windshield. It looks good on you. It looks good on you. Okay, so so it, it won't even fit into the loader. And then they drive up to the to the dumpster, and they just let the loader go, plop. And the thing, the poor thing, I mean, it's horrible. It's really horrible. I mean, we have to remember it is dead. Uh, but it it's horrible. It just kind of oh, God. lies across the dumpster for a second and then falls down. Yeah. Because there, there's no way it's going to fit. It's not even so, remotely close. <laughs> right? Okay, so this is how, this is how... How sheep-like we are. How did that happen? Well, they, the, somebody said, hey, there's a, there's a baby whale that's died. It's not a baby whale. This is just a small whale. Baby whale that's died, washed up on shore. So, so, <clears throat> so the, I don't know, the beach pickup police or whatever they are, <laughs> they call and say, what do we do? We got a baby whale. What do we do with it? And the the sheriff said, "Oh, it's a baby whale. Just throw it in the dumpster." That's not a baby. The, you should. There's more to that conversation. The guy's like, "I uh, he just said the baby whale's going to dumpster." <laughs> Nobody said. Uh, I don't think it'll fit in the dumpster. It's a pretty big baby. And I, don't, I mean, I, I uh, am not a, a waste management engineer. Um, <laughs> right. However, right. I would, you know, you got to think past step one here. Like it's in the dumpster. Can can a I mean maybe it can, but can one like garbage garbage truck that picks up those dumpsters? Can they lift a four thousand pound whale? You've inside? never excuse me. You've never thrown a little fish out into the garbage. 
I well, no, but I I, I would assume this is not this is not a little fish. It's a it's a baby whale. <laughs> it is a baby whale. Should fit all baby whales should fit into a dumpster, right? You know, that's the other thing I thought of. First of all, I mean, who owns the dumpster? Is it is it like the is it like the grocery store is like oh crap? Who put the whale in the dumpster? Now we don't have any room. What are we gonna do now? Yeah. I hate it when people put whales in dumpsters. <laughs> Have you ever, um, uh, like, if you think of, think of right now in your head, Glenn, and if you're listening yeah. to the show, think of this mm-hmm. number in your head. How wide is a dumpster, a normal dumpster? How wide is it from left to right as you're facing it? 10 feet? Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm getting. Uh, I was thinking about six or seven. Seven, maybe? maybe seven, 20. Yeah. The whale and was four fe- feet. The whale is. 27 feet. (laughs) (laughs) Who would look at it? The only thing I can think of is... All baby baby whales in the dumpsters. (laughs) The only thing I can think of is I think they may have thought when they placed it on top, it would just fold itself into (laughs) into the the dumpster because it's dead and maybe it was so... Okay, but uh, okay, I thought of that too. But look at it in the you know the the dumpster. I mean the uh, the the you know the the shovel thing. What do you call it? The, the I'm bulldozer. So, I'm such yeah. a man. Mm-hmm. The bulldozer's loader or whatever that thing. You know the big shovel thing in the front. Right. I think if you all... look at it, mm-hmm. it's not bending. No, <laughs> it doesn't fit into that either, and it's not bending. So. Who was like, hey, stop bending now, but well, we put it in the dumpster. Sheriff uh, said, baby, well, in the dumpster. Uh, <laughs> There's bizarre, no man. brain power here at all. Mm-hmm. I would okay. uh, I would tend to agree with this analysis, uh, but I, I, I feel like we're going to have very few of these uh, situations going forward. I feel like they've now proven this is not the most reliable way to dispose I mean, wasn't well, it? it no, was only a few no, years ago they no, tried to blow no. one up. Remember when they blew one up on the beach? Remember that one? They just like <laughs> filled it with TNT and just made it explode. Okay, so the baby whale, because those are those <laughs> on the dumpsters. Big whales. Chef uh, says, uh, blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's good hell. <laughs> Think of that. We got to, what are you going to do to dispose of this? Uh, put a bunch of dynamite in his mouth. He's just going to scatter whale. <laughs> Everywhere we are a weird. It just species, disappears. Man. I see it in. I watched in uh, Six Million Dollar Man once. He blew stuff up, and there wasn't anything left. <laughs> what? <laughs> we are too stupid to run a country. We really. We should. We should just give up. We really should. Yeah, we yeah. really should. You know what, America? Put your tools down. I think we're done <laughs> as a country. Just, just walk away. I don't know if you're working the bandsaw. You probably shouldn't be working that. Just. Put the tools down, turn off the machine, let's go home. This is why I argue for the Matrix, and I've been doing it for a long time. If we can just be <laughs> fuel for some alien culture, and then they just we just lay down in like a pool of, you know, some sort of jelly. And everyone's like, I'm oh, we need a red okay pill. with that. You had the, uh, the, the author or the director of uh, that documentary, Red Pill, right? Red Pill, yeah. Uh, on mm-hmm. uh, Cassie J uh, the other day. And, uh, and I was thinking, I kind of kind of want to go blue pill. I kind of want to go blue pill and get into the gel. And then in, in like in my mind, I'd think things were kind of normal. And, you know, except I, I don't like the Matrix because they made it real enough to where, you know, if I if I swear to if I find out that we're in a Matrix and I'm actually in a pod in gel, 
and I still am fat <laughs> in my matrix life. And in my matrix life, I can only eat the crap like kale and I still get fat and I still have to exercise. I'm telling you, I am taking the entire matrix down because that pisses me off. <laughs> It's a fair point. Well, they said okay. that. In, they said that in that documentary, The Matrix, in which they discussed yes. they tried to make it perfect for humans and make everybody happy. But then we were such whiners, we're so addicted to outrage, we couldn't handle the perfect life they designed. I for can us. handle it. I can handle. I it. I can handle it too. I am not I on that bandwagon. Yeah. I am not on that bandwagon. Although I will Give tell you, the blue pill. <laughs> I will tell you. I, I met somebody here in Southern California yesterday. I said, "So what's Texas like?" And I said, um, "You know California." Yes. Not like that. No. It's not like that. Uh, and I said, oh, it's beautiful. I said, in a different way. You know, California has mountains and we don't. You have trees and, well, we don't. Uh, you know, you have beautiful green grassland. We don't. We don't. Um, but we have sky. The sky. I <laughs> Actually, I'm down, to, I'm down to the sky. Sky is beautiful in Texas. It's beautiful. Mm. And I said, some of the most beautiful sunrises and sunset. I said, it's like Arizona in a way. Um, where there's just beautiful, these cloud formations, and they're huge, and blah, blah, blah. And she said, man, clouds. You know, we don't even get clouds here. <laughs> Sometimes I just look up in the sky, and there's not a cloud, and I'm like, can we at least get a cloud? And I wanted to say, shut up. <laughs> shut up. What did you need it to say? We was- don't even get clouds. It's... It's always 75 degrees and perfectly blue. Mm. Oh, I'm so tired of it. Shut up! <laughs> it is It is frustrating, and in Texas, we don't have everything that California has, starting with a 13% state income tax. <laughs> that's so, right. That's right. You can, you yeah, can that's, have... That, there's your cloudy day. <laughs> Every April 15th. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, when we come back, either Kavanaugh... <laughs> either Kavanaugh mm-hmm. or the woman who's getting the lobsters high before she puts them into a tank because there is some controversy surrounding that act of mercy when we come back <laughs> it's just so beautiful here all the time and, I mean, the weather is perfect and the sky is perfectly blue. Oh, the trees are huge. Have you seen the big sequoias? Oh, it's so pretty. And we have the ocean here. We can go to the ocean anytime we like. It's just, oh. But sometimes it just doesn't get rainy and gray. <laughs> oh, poor me. U.S. government, by the way, everyone on planet Earth would live in California if you weren't insane in Sacramento. Uh, The U.S. government has charged a North Korean man for the uh, 2014 cyber assault on Sony. Uh, It's part of the Lazarus Group, which is kind of a scary name, isn't it? Rising from the dead. The Lazarus Group uh, was uh, based in North Korea, and they were just trying to breach you know, any U.S. business with uh, ransomware cyber attacks. Well, Sony was attacked, and uh, and the, re- the the way they got in is uh, they were sending all the employees this, um, this ransomware uh, in emails that was a link to Facebook and Twitter, and that's where the, you know, once you opened it up, that's where the malware came from. Tons of threats. 
Um, everything is connected now. You make one mistake, you have one weak link, and you're toast. New LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But now, the new LifeLock with Norton Security can see the threats that you might miss on your own, and they will fix it. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK, 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK, get an extra 10% off your first year, plus a $25 Amazon gift card with your annual enrollment. Do it now. Promo code BECK. Terms and conditions do apply at 1-800-LIFELOCK or lifelock.com. Okay, Stu, I could go back to the getting the lobsters high. Mm -hmm. We could go to Brett Kavanaugh. Or... I could give you the latest excuse from the federal government on why the Sunspot Observatory has been closed. Can I? Well, let me. This get, one is fascinating. All right, one quick question on the pot, and then we can leave it. Okay. And, and this has been asked by many people: Do you get high when you eat it? Uh, no. The now, now this is according to the owner of you know lobsters in pot or whatever, right. whatever they're calling it. Okay. Um, they're saying, oh, there's absolutely no way. Now, they infuse the water tank that they're in by using a <clears throat> by using a mattress pump. <laughs> they infuse the water with pot smoke. A mattress pump? Like what, for a water? <laughs> yeah, you don't know. Do they even yeah, make water little, beds anymore? Is that know, an air mattress? No, no, no. An oh, air okay. mattress pump. Okay, so you got the air mattress. Now, I don't know how you get the smoke other than you're like, okay, man, I'm on an eight-hour shift. I got to keep <laughs> blowing smoke into this pump. Uh, but they blow the smoke into the pump. The pump then takes that smoke and just puts it at the bottom of the tank. So it's a blah, 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 blah. I don't think that's getting anybody high. Okay, no, I, I don't I think, think so either. Okay, that was yeah, the, I think you have to be high to believe that that's helping the lobsters. That was the only pragmatic question our audience had about that story. So okay, now that we know right. that, I think okay. we can move on. All right. Okay. So the story of the Sunspot Solar Observatory mm-hmm. is bizarre. It was shut down by FBI agents. A Black Hawk helicopter came, was involved. Now, that's not just, just so the, Demo, the, the Democratic senators know. The FBI does not have Black Hawk helicopters fully armed, okay? That's not part of the FBI. So somehow or another, the FBI has found something at this Sunspot Observatory that it was so important that they had to rush everyone out for their own safety, plus evacuate the entire mountain for their own safety. People have not been allowed back into their homes for their own safety, and they don't know when the observatory is going to be opened again for their own safety. Got it? Mm, Pretty dramatic. Sounds pretty big. Right. I don't believe the alien thing. I don't believe the sunspot thing. I do believe the Chinese or the Russians or somebody was was using this as a backbone. Uh, And one of my, you know, Silicon Valley friends said... uh, it's probably they probably got information from the observatory and then they were on low frequency, low power transmitter of some sort 
taking that tower and beaming it to maybe a house on the mountain because it would be untraceable. And then they, they, would, they, makes, they would need the houses evacuated so they could search for whatever receiver they could find. Correct. Um, correct. And, and, again, and that explains the Blackhawk. That explains the guys on the tower and everything else. Yeah. And you, right? and, and I don't say that you, you wouldn't say that you necessarily believe that, but that's just your best theory at the moment. Yeah, that's the best theory I've heard. Mm-hmm. This is the worst one. Um, according, uh, according to sources now uh, with the government... Uh, a federal search warrant reveals that Sunspot Solar Observatory was shut down as FBI agents were conducting computer forensic searches for child porn. They're now telling us that there was a janitor that was downloading uh, child porn on his laptop and uh, and uh, and and they were going to try to arrest him. Now, they they haven't arrested him yet, but that's what that was all about was just a janitor downloading child porn and they still don't know when they're going to let the neighborhood back into their houses tell me that makes sense glenn beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way he might not be able to save the country but at least we can all go down laughing glenn beck live the addicted to outrage tour on tour this fall glenn beck stoop I just heard some amazing audio, and it came out, uh, I think, last night, um, about what's his name in Florida. He was part of the uh, the March for Life. Uh, yeah, Cameron Caskey. Okay. He's one of the guys that was was one of the big movers and shakers in uh, the March for Life, you know, the, the kids of, of, of Parkland. He said yesterday he really regrets what he said to Marco Rubio. And, you know, he was part of the group that was like, Marco Rubio, you know, you are taking money from the NRA and yours want kids to die. I want you to listen to what I think is one of the bravest people I have heard, especially considering his age. Here's a high school kid who is now in in Parkland. You're. If you're part of this, you see how the media has torn apart anybody who disagrees. You've seen how people have torn the the you know the the conservative kids, how they've just been dismantled. And you're willing to say this? Listen to this interview. This summer when March for Our Lives went on the summer tour that we embarked on, I met that person in Texas who's got that semi-automatic weapon because that's how they like to protect their family. I met I met the 50-some-odd percent of women who are pro-life, even though I thought that it was preposterous that a woman could be pro-life and not pro-choice at the time. I, I learned that um, a lot of our issues politically come from a, a lack of understanding of the perspectives and uh, and also just the... The fact that so often young, young conservatives and young liberals will go into debate, like I said earlier, trying to beat the other one as opposed to come to an agreement. And, right. and, you know, that's natural. It's important for things to be a bit competitive because I think competition is very important for everything. But it comes to a point where all we're doing right now is driving each other apart. I mean, the people who, who were okay with Trump will now forgive him for anything. And the people who didn't like Trump will pretend that every single thing he does is pure, utter evil. And, and it's a direction we need, to, we need to head away from. So I'm working on some efforts to encourage bipartisanship or at least discussion that is, not, that is productive and help a lot of people avoid the mistakes that I make. Is this, is this kid 
unbelievable? This is unbelievable. What is he saying? He's saying absolutely everything that so many people are fighting against. He is making the message of my book. Look look what he did. He was part of an angry, I think, almost a mob, an angry mob of kids that were were at least portrayed on television as all David Hogg. David Hogg's not listening to anybody. He is full of certitude. He's right. You're wrong. No ifs, ands, or buts. This kid was part of that. And then what did he say? When I was in Texas, I met that person that uses an AR to protect their family. Well, now, how did he meet that person? Do you think he met that person because they were holding up a sign that said, you kids are idiots? Was holding up a sign that said, you have to be stopped, which was screaming uh, names uh, at them, was, was, uh, was tweeting horrible things about these kids? I highly doubt it. He met a woman who was pro-life. He said, at the time, I couldn't believe a woman would be pro-life. He said, I met her and I talked to her. What does that mean? That means there were reasonable conservatives, and I think we all try to be, reasonable conservatives that were calm enough, rational enough, to find the one, not to go to David Hogg, but to find the one in the group that was honestly listening. And they changed his heart. That's exactly the point of the book, Addicted to Outrage. And it's exactly the point I've been saying. There, there are people, they are not necessarily the David Hoggs. They're not necessarily the ones you see on TV all the time. But there are people who are truly sick of this. They know this doesn't work. They don't want to do it anymore. But they can't find anybody reasonable to talk to. I congratulate this guy. You are you are my hero of the week, dude. Congratulations, and if there is anything we can do to help you meet with other people of different perspective, I'm all in. You are my hero of the week, dude. And just like that, he didn't have a prom date. It's Thursday, September 20th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. <laughs> this is not the not endorsement nice. you want when you're in high school. No, it's it's really not. It's I'm really Glenn not. Beck's Hero of the Week. Look at my t-shirt. It says so. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to date again. Uh, all right. I want to talk to you about something serious here. Uh, and I, 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 I... It's a really it's a really strange thing. Uh, I am fascinated by this story and repulsed by this story at the same time. But the parts of the story that really fascinate me are the parts how you don't know this story. You even conservatives think they know this story. They have absolutely no idea. I watched this movie a couple of weeks ago, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer, and it blew me away. It doesn't even have to, it is, but it doesn't even have to be a good movie. The story, the facts of this story are so 
incomprehensible that it has happened recently and you, no one found this interesting to cover. It is one of the craziest stories you've ever seen, and they bring it to life in a new movie that had to be impossible to make. Gosnell, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer. If you don't remember who uh, Dr. Gosnell is, uh, let us remind you, the director, Nick Searcy, is, uh, is, on, Searcy is on with us now. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, Glenn. I'm great. How are you? I, I was hoping that I was going to be hero of the week, but I, I guess I'll settle. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, you can be unpopular with all the with all the girls just because you made this movie. Um, Nick, I, I, I have to tell you, I, I thought I knew this story. I mean, we covered it. I thought I knew this story, but until I saw your movie, I didn't connect uh, visually with what that place was like. And I also didn't know that this was a local, they were looking for doctor shoppers. They stumbled into this guy. Yeah, I mean that's one of the that's one of the fascinating aspects of the story is that they they went after him because he was writing prescriptions for opi- opioids and selling them, and it was a drug case basically. And so when they raided the clinic, it's when the lead detective uh, uh, James Woods, who, who we call Woody in the film, is uh, he's just appalled by what he sees in the clinic, and he just goes back to the DA's office and says, "I don't know what's going on in there." But it can't be legal. <laughs> so, so, it, so was it, really it was stumbled upon because uh, of looking for the drugs. So, Nick, was it? And I, I, I mean, look, I, I understand dramatic storytelling and everything else. Was the was the clinic really in that kind of shape? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's depicted as well as we could in the film, but when you see the real photographs and the real footage that, that uh, James Woods took when he went into that clinic, it's it's incredible. I mean, there, there are, you know, garbage bags sitting lining the hallways because he says, you know, that he had a dispute with his medical waste company, and the, the, the bags contained fetuses. I mean, they were just sitting in the hallway. Some of them were stuck in the freezer. Some of them were stuck in milk cartons with name tags on them, and it, the place was filthy. It was uh, cats running it around had... and rats. and yeah, I mean, it, it but... really was. It, you know, I don't think we could have <laughs> made it look as bad as it really was. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I was, really, I was really struck by how filthy everything was. I mean, filthy uh, it was, and and you could almost smell it through the screen. The the you know when you've got you know rotting body parts in the hallway and cats all yeah. over the place. I don't know how. I I mean, I, how did anybody anybody think I shouldn't report this place? Yeah, well, I wanted to shoot the film in smell o vision, but I got shut down on that. But, yeah, um, well, you 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 did it you know, with just the imagination. <laughs> but you know, I think that what happened and what part of the story is that this clinic was not inspected from uh, I guess nineteen ninety three until two thousand ten. There were no inspections done by the board of health at this clinic because of the political climate. Now, the governor Tom Ridge back then, who 
he did not want to appear to be anti-reproductive rights, uh, quote unquote, or anti-woman. And so he told them to stand down. And that's my understanding. He told them to stand down and don't inspect these clinics. And I have to tell you, if you if I mean, a, a simple a simple inspection of that clinic would have shut it down years before. Yeah, I have to tell you, whether he was doing abortions or not, which he clearly was, and I'm just trying to make a point here, any clinic, any clinic for for male, female, for dogs, any clinic that was in that kind of shape, uh, it, it is an insult to say uh, you're just against reproductive rights. You're, you're anti-women for inspecting or closing that place down or testifying against it. Are you kidding me? I mean, the infection, the disease, and the, let alone, not just the kids that were killed, but also the patients that died. Yeah, and and the reason that happened is, is exactly what you were talking about before, about not being able to talk honestly about these issues because we demonize each other. I mean, that's sort of part of the story is that abortion is so politically charged that you can't even have a rational discussion about it. And even when we agree on things, the other side is afraid to agree with you about the slightest little thing because they think they might be helping the pro-life movement or something. They they think they might be betraying their own cause if they even concede for a moment that Gosnell was a monster. (laughs) So so to to give some perspective here on how much of a monster – uh, he was. We'll get we'll get into that here in a second. Let me just let me just do let me just ask you this. Explain how he had quote nurses performing things that they shouldn't ever even if they were nurses they should not be uh, doing. Uh, and and how one woman died because he wasn't even there during the procedure. He, somebody he had trained for a few hours did it. Yes. Um, well, part of the way Gosnell operated was that he did not have actual trained registered nurses working in his clinic. And I think probably because if he, if he had, they would have challenged him. And so he basically surrounded himself with the, you know, yes men and, and, and sort of stooges that he could make do whatever he wanted them to do. And so he basically took, in many cases, high school girls and trained them to give the anesthesia and trained them to do some of the procedures so that he wouldn't have to be there even when, when some of the abortions were being done and also so that he wouldn't have to answer to anybody. So you have these, uh, in many cases, I thought the nurses were as much a victim as anybody else because they were kind of just doing what they were told to do. And since they'd never been trained medically, they just thought this was normal. They thought this was the way things were done. Same. So it is I mean, them as well. Anybody who, anybody who says, oh, this is going to go back to backroom, uh, back alley abortions. Yeah, that's what, this, that's what this guy was running. And anybody, even if you are, even if you're somebody who says, oh, I'm absolutely pro-choice, this, the, the, the um, the state refusing to do any kind of inspections on abortion clinics is allowing back alley abortions to happen right now 
for the not for the humanity to help these poor little girls, but strictly for money. This guy was sick beyond your imagination. We'll continue our conversation here in uh, just a second. First, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It is Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe, fantastic protection, really easy to use, and you're going to save a buttload of money. First of all, when you go to their website, and I, I urge you to do this, you go and just kind of scroll down, and you're going to see where they talk about the savings uh, that you're going to have over the year. You compare it to anything that you've ever had for home security, you know, ADT or, you know, Wells Fargo or whoever is, you know, putting that little sign in your yard. Um, you look at the amount of money that they charge you every single month, you know, because that, well, they're putting in a big security system. Uh huh. How much is that security system worth if I've been paying for five years, 50 bucks a month? How much is that worth? It ain't worth that. Simply Safe has comprehensive protection and it's state of the art technology, and you own it. It's all wireless. It's all top-of-the-line stuff. So you get your protection against intruders and fires and leaks and burst pipes. You get cameras and motion detectors, and your windows are all secure, and your doors are secure, and the glass break sensors, which is unbelievable technology just in and of itself. You have all of that. You own it, and if you look at the price of it, you're saving money the first year. And a lot of money. $14.99 a month for the 24-7 monitoring. There's no contracts. You're in complete control. Visit simplysafebeck.com. Go there now. Simplysafebeck.com. 10% off your home security system at simplysafebeck.com. Welcome to the uh, program. We're, we're talking to... Um, Nick Searcy is the director of Gosnell, the trial of America's biggest serial killer. It comes out on October 12th, and you really need to see it. You need to. This is going to be one of those movies that is, uh, they're going to do everything they can to keep this from going mainstream. You need to, you know, organize yourselves into groups and churches and whatever. Anybody who will go see this movie with you, it is, it's, it's not shocking um it's not it's not going for shock value it's shocking how cold it is and how no one was willing to tell the story and to cover it you'll be shocked even if you followed the story you're going to be shocked at the story because it, you i can guarantee you you only know a fraction of it um nick can you tell me the the detectives in the movie um, they're heroes to me. They they didn't have an agenda. They I don't even think they knew anything really about abortion or anything else, you know, other than what the general public does. At least that's the way it came off in the film. And they they were saying things at the beginning like this can't be legal. Is this normal? Is this the way it is? And they yeah. honestly thought this guy was a monster and couldn't get anyone to help. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the main parts of the movie that I found so fascinating. I mean, when I read the script, there was just all this information in there about the procedure of abortion, about the laws surrounding it, you know, what constituted a legal abortion and what made it illegal. 
all that information in there, I was just like, wow, I didn't know this. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I think that's that's sort of the way the story unfolds in the movie is uh, through the detectives is they're carrying that ball in that uh, Detective Woods so, is like discovering all this stuff and goes into this so, abortion clinic and just goes, wow, this can't be what they're all like, is it? I mean, this this can't be normal. And so is, so is that an accurate a, portrayal? Uh, is it an accurate portrayal of them? Or are they yeah, more of a vehicle I mean, in the movie? No, it's an accurate portrayal. I mean, uh, you know, James Woods was, uh, you know, he was interviewed extensively while the script was being done. He visited the set. Um, you know, he, he it's definitely, as accurately as we can tell it, it was his reaction to what he saw when he went in that clinic. Okay. Um, making this film, uh, and by the way, uh, Nick plays a role. You, you've seen his face before. He's been in a million uh, movies, including a couple of Academy Award uh, winning movies. Um, but Nick made this film, yes. and now trying to promote this film is even difficult. The story uh, behind NPR uh, and and trying to get them just to say the truth is phenomenal. We go there next. Nick Searcy, he is the director of Gosnell. I want to give you some idea who who Nick is as well. Beside the the director, you've seen him. He's one of those faces that you've seen. You're like, oh, my gosh, I've seen him a million times. He was in Moneyball, The Last Song, uh, The Ugly Truth, Dead Girl, Runaway, Castaway, Head of State, Fried Green Tomatoes. Uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which is great. Um, the Shape of Water. He's also, um, uh, rec- you know, recurring um, and, you know, uh, a star in um, Justified uh, in 112263, which is also great. Seven Days American Gothic, HBO from Earth to the Moon, uh, The Mentalist, Lie to Me, Without a Trace, West Wing, CSI, uh, NCIS. And now that he's the director of Gosnell and stars in the movie Gosnell, I I believe he'll be uh, playing Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman at the Waffle House uh, just outside of Atlanta. (laughs) Are you going to be able to get another job after this, Nick? Well, I'm working right now, Glenn. I'm up in Toronto right now doing a a miniseries. You know, I've got a couple of things already lined up it doesn't seem to be hurting me so far. I mean, I think that they, uh, I think that the, what they're trying to ignore Gosnell, uh, the movie, and pretend that it doesn't exist right now. Maybe if they figure out that it's actually out there, <laughs> then it might right. to hurt me. But uh, so, so far, so I, good, I, you know. There is a there is a story out today. One of the executive producers for the movie Trial of, uh, of America's Biggest Serial Killer, Gosnell reached out to NPR to purchase a sponsorship for an interview show, Fresh Air. He was told he couldn't use the term abortionist to describe Gosnell in the ad. Uh, The emails uh, obtained uh, say, um, uh, let's see, support for this NPR program comes from the film Gosnell, the trial of America's biggest serial killer. The film is a true story of an abortionist, Kermit Gosnell, the story mainstream media tried to cover up because it reveals the truth about abortion. They said they couldn't use the word abortionist, but they could use the word doctor. 
that he was yeah. he, he they went back and said okay can we use abortion doctor no we can't do that uh they're still trying to bury this story yeah they're afraid of it and that's that's the thing it's like the point was that he was not a podiatrist or you know a, a gastroenterologist he was, he was he, he did abortions, and, and right. that's what he called himself. You know, Gosnell called himself an abortion doctor. But they're so afraid that this, that by telling the, this, this, this story that it's going to hurt the pro-choice side and help the pro-life side, that they just, they, they're afraid to even say the word. Can I, can I tell you something? You know what hurts it? What hurts it is this cover-up. Because when people try to cover up something this grotesque, you automatically go, geez, what else are they not telling me? If they would lead, you know, like the NRA, most time, most times leads the way. They were the ones that said, we have to have um, a, a, a way to uh, run your criminal history before you buy a gun. It was their bill and their push that put it out there. It, 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 it right. helps their credibility for them to hide something. I don't think Planned Parenthood places are like this, and I think those places are monstrous, but it's not like Gosnell. Yeah, you would think there'd be some common ground here. You would think that yeah. there would be a chance to go, okay, well, we can all agree on this. We can all agree that not inspecting abortion clinics endangers women. It uh, causes the loss of life. And we need to be as diligent about inspecting abortion clinics as we are about every other kind of clinic. I mean, you would think. And, and that's, that's one of the things that's been most shocking to me since we made the film, is how resistant everybody is to just having a conversation about the truth of what happened in this situation. They're so afraid of it that they don't even want to talk about it, and they still want to pretend that it's not there. Was was he in real life? You've seen the videotapes. You know, it was it was bizarre when they first come in and uh, they come into his house, and uh, he seems I, I I don't know, just casual about everything, uh, almost yeah. almost mentally handicapped. Calm, you know, calm, just. I don't know what, just completely detached. Was that what he was really like? Yeah, I mean, he, he had this sort of uh, air of superiority about him. And he still, to this day, thinks that he did nothing wrong and that's going, he's going to be exonerated. So he really, when they came into his house, he had no fear. I mean, he was not afraid that they were going to discover something bad about him because he didn't. He didn't think that he'd done anything wrong, except in the except for the money. He was trying to hide the money wherever he could because most of his, especially his late-term abortions that he did on the weekends, that was where he took only cash, and it was it was there were big piles of cash stuffed all around the house and and hidden out at his beach house. And I mean, he was I think he was concerned more about hiding the cash than anything else. And he didn't seem to live large. I mean, you know, he, he didn't you know, hire a housekeeper, uh, and his clinic was an absolute dump. I mean... Yeah, no, he didn't clean up after himself very well, that's for sure. Um, so... But he did have... Tell a, me. He did have... I'll say this. He did have extensive real estate holdings. He invested 
you know, he he had beach houses and and over seventeen properties, I believe. Tell me about the, you know, you. there's one scene, you go into the judge, and the judge is like, I'm not making this about abortion. Um, and, yeah. uh, I mean, that's kind of what this is. He's an abortion doctor. Um, and, uh, and you, you know, the, the, the uh, prosecution who couldn't get a doctor, at first at least, to testify against, no doctor would, would testify. Why? Well, I think it's that sort of medical, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I'd be guessing, but I think it's that sort of medical brotherhood kind of thing. There's, there's you know, it's, it's just bad form to testify against one of your own. And Would you also, not testify against Mangala? If you, I mean, he wasn't doing experiments right. on people, but just honest to God, just in cleanliness, this guy was a, a horror show let alone what he was doing yeah. to girls. Right. Well, I think also the politics entered into it. I mean, you, you, the, the doctors, I think, had the idea, probably correctly, that if they testified in this, it was going to become a, a political circus, and they didn't want to be part of it. They, didn't, they just didn't want to spend their time or their, endanger their reputations by jumping into the middle of something that's controversial, especially when they weren't involved, really. They would just be testifying as expert witnesses, and, you know, it wasn't their mm-hmm. act to grind, necessarily. Um, the, um, but one of the shocking scenes in the movie is, as they're pulling up to the courthouse, uh, one of them says in the car, uh, okay, prepare for a zoo, listen, don't. You know, don't answer any questions. Just keep moving forward. And they open the car door, and there is no one there. And there is no one in the in the trial uh, in the courtroom. Nobody, nobody from the press. And it's a little yeah. shocking, especially for uh, this time. Uh, uh, you know, an age where the, the this is this is one of the greatest most horrific stories in american history and no one was there to document it i think glenn they just couldn't figure out a way to spin it you know they just couldn't figure out a way to actually cover the story and not risk helping uh tell the truth uh, not not risk uh helping the pro-life movement uh, that that had to be what was going on and they the, the press stayed away from the trial until Kirsten Powers, I believe it was, wrote uh, an op-ed saying, why isn't anybody covering this? This should be what we're looking at. And after that, it's sort of like it kind of broke a little bit nationally, and then people came to the trial towards the end of it. And it's not one of those stories. I mean, it's it's truly amazing. You did a great job on the, on the film. Uh, it has the creepiness of Silence of the Lambs. Um, and, uh, and I don't say that lightly, it really has that kind of creepy feeling to it. Uh, but without any kind of sensationalism and without any gore, uh, and it's it, it, because, you know, you say, oh, you want to go see the abortion movie? No, nobody wants to go see an abortion movie. This is, this was so shocking in its coldness and in, and how much you just had no idea happened that it is strangely not one of those movies that you want to look away from. Does that make sense to you? 
Yeah, I mean, and we really consciously made that effort. We we said we 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 want to make this something that is palatable that can that people can watch, tell and let the tr- let the facts speak for themselves. So we really really worked hard to try to make a PG thirteen movie that everybody could see. And I think the way that we did that is that we focused on the detectives and the lawyers. We fo- focused on the the heroes of the piece, which were the people who. Who, can, who caught Gosnell and who took him to trial and convicted him. And What's amazing. By doing that, it made, it made the movie more of a thriller and a courtroom drama than any yeah. sort of, you know, shock, gore movie. Right. What, what's truly amazing to me is this is, you'd see this on Sherlock. You've seen worse than this. On Sherlock and, and you know, how many shows? I mean, geez, man, you were, uh, you know, yeah, you're, you're part line, of uh, C- CSI. Yeah, you're, you're part of those shows. Yeah. You see this stuff. Yeah. Um, and this is this is done more tastefully than some of the stuff you've seen and you'll watch. But people will say, I don't want to see this because it's real. And that's why you yeah. should see this. Nick, I hope you continue yeah. to work. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and I wish you, I wish you lots of luck in the uh, future and on this film, it opens, uh, when is it? Uh, October 12th, October 12th, 12th nationwide. And if you, uh, if you, uh, if you can make sure you bring friends, lots of friends, because this is not going to be reviewed. And if it is reviewed, I guarantee it gets bad reviews. Uh, it's people are going to avoid it. They don't want it. Uh, is there anything else that people can do to help get the, spread the word? Well, you know, if you go to gosnellmovie.com, there's, we have a number of advanced screenings that we're doing around the country before, uh, before the release. Uh, and I think they're playing in Dallas tonight. I was going to be I there. I wish I was there. I have to stay, stay here in Toronto to, uh, to make, uh, another, I'm doing a mini series yeah. now about Ebola. I get all the good ones. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> good for no, you. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of screenings around the country. We're going to the Carolinas next week. We're in Washington, D.C. this weekend. Uh, and so just check on the website and see if there's a screening near you, right. and you can sign up and go see the movie before it opens. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Nick, and best of luck. Gosnellmovie.com G-O-S-N-E-L-L Gosnellmovie.com Organize your church Organize uh, a group of people to see it This is If this weren't true This would be One of the most compelling Horror movies You could ever ever see or story that you could ever tell because it's true it makes it really important that we all see and spread the word gosnellmovie.com all right let me tell you about uh goldline goldline is um goldline is is uh is a place that i look at as an insurance company uh, I see the news of the day, and let me let me just lay out a scenario here for you, Stu. What do you think is going to happen during the election? Are they going to lose the House or the Senate? I mean, it definitely looks like they're going to lose the House at the moment. Uh, Senate is okay. they're favored, but might lose. Okay, uh, and we discussed earlier 
that means I can you think of a scenario where they don't impeach the president? I mean, they don't they're not, not going to care about the evidence. Right. So they, yeah. they're just going to do it out of, out of politics. So I can't I can't imagine they won't do it. OK, they're going to be they're going to have to. You can't have power in the House, which has the power to impeach and not use it after all of this. And anything good so, that's going on that's good for the economy is going to come screeching to a halt because they're not going to be able to pass anything. Yeah. I mean, look at what's happening. We've already cut the tax cuts uh, because of the trade tariffs. Uh, we've already uh, cut those tax cuts benefits in half. Uh, what's going to happen when our government is not going to get anything done? Our government is just split and focused on impeachment. It's going to be a nightmare. Please, please diversify. I don't know when this train is coming, but it is coming. And the longer it takes to get here, the worse it will be on the other side. The new silver Maple Flex card. It is um, Goldline made this first. We, we made it with a credit card size holder containing five individually sealed one tenth of an ounce gold bar. Royal Canadian Mint. It's great. You can still buy those, but you can also buy silver. So if things melt down, You've got something to barter with, and it's legal tender. It's Royal Canadian Mint. And the, the, the credit card, Maple Flex card, is, is one-tenth of an ounce, uh, I think one-twenty of an ounce, one-quarter of an ounce of silver, and you can break it up into little pieces, and again, it becomes like coins, but you can keep it in your wallet. Own one. Own a buttload of them. If you think, if you think like I do... Please call Goldline now before prices start to go up because the world has gone insane. Goldline at goldline.com. 1-866-GOLDLINE. Call them now. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck. I'm on Twitter at World of Stew, and a lot of people are, are asking, Glenn, what is on your left hand? There seems to be a spot of some sort. Is that... Yeah, it just showed up today. It's just this black spot. I have no idea. <laughs> what it is doesn't look healthy should i have a check (laughs) yeah are you sure it's not just like ink no i mean i use a fountain pen but i'm sure that's not (laughs) ink i'm sure that's not ink glenn beck mercury glenn beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way he might not be able to save the country but at least we can all go down laughing glenn beck live the addicted to outrage tour on tour this fall Glenn Beck. It's Thursday, September 20th. This is the Glenn Beck program. So, I mean, unless you, you know, just happen on this show for the first time today, uh, I've got a new book out. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the book is called Addicted to Outrage. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned uh, about the outrage that's happening politically, but I am equally concerned about technology that is coming our way we are standing at the best of times and the worst of times and it's going to be up to us on whether technology and and our own uh human instincts and the worst of us bring us this dark future or a good future i'm a optimistic catastrophist But it is up to us. And the only reason why I'm optimistic is because I know who we are when the chips are down. But where is our bottom? Most people will tell you, I don't have a problem with social media. I'm not addicted. Yeah, you you really are. And it's been designed to addict us. I mean, what what company sets out and says, 
you know what, I want to design something that people don't really want to check all the time. It's designed for that. And the way this is happening now in our society and everything is becoming political and we're starting to be we're starting to divide each other and call each other names. This is not good. And whether you just woke up to this or you've always known this, you've got to start changing behavior and speaking to people differently and and checking uh, yourself and social media. Uh Judith Donath is uh, with us now. Judith, how are you? Good. How are you? Very good. Um, you have um, you wrote the book, The Social Machine: Designs for Living Online. Uh, you were also part of the MIT Media Lab Sociable uh, uh, Media Group. I quote you in my book saying, "Every ping could be social, sexual, or professional opportunity, and we get a media reward—a squirt of dopin- dopamine for answering the bell." These re- these rewards serve as jolts of energy that recharge the uh, compulsion engine, much like the, the frisson of a gambler receives when a new card hits the table. Cumulatively, the effect is potent and hard to resist. Tell me how I don't think people really believe that we are that we're dope addicts. Um. A quick backup. I don't think in the original quote I had said that we get a jolt of dopamine, but I don't think it's really important what the exact okay. sort of neurology behind it is. Okay. But, you know, I think most of us are aware of that feeling that, for instance, if you post something, a comment, you're always interested in seeing that people have liked it. A lot of right. this was actually on the positive side. The addiction is not necessarily about outrage. I think at the time I was thinking more of the issue around people posting pictures of kittens online and how sure, popular sure. cats had gotten. So, um, but I'm the, not. I'm not trying to tie. So you know, I'm not. I, I'm sorry that if, if you felt I was presenting it this way, I'm not presenting you to um, prove my theory at all on uh, outrage at all. Right. I, I'm talking specifically just about social media and how social media is affecting us. Uh, and and I think you're right at 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 first. And I think even some ways now, even if it's in a negative way, um, we still do get that that hit and that high from people saying, I like this. Say more. Do more. Whatever it is, a kitty cat video or a, an outrageous remark. People are uh, 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 are getting high off of this. People like me. People are talking about me. I've got something, you know, to say that people want to hear. Right. And it's in some ways, it's a little bit like the story of junk food. You know, we evolved to want to have particular things. And sugar is is useful for energy. Salt is really useful. But if you take them and make food that's just about those things and just about those tastes and is designed just to get you to keep eating, then it's really unhealthy. And the desires both to be liked by others, if we did not care what other people think of us, that's the mentality of a psychopath. Mm. You, you know, you want people who care about each other, who care, you know, are, am I doing things that other people think are acceptable? That's how we have community. But if you start distilling that out into a space where everything you say gives you a little measurement of how many likes you get, and you can measure it against the other things you've said or what other people have said, it starts getting into the realm of social junk food. Do you think it's, 
I mean, are you I mean, I know you're studying the media now. Do you think we're at the point of social junk food or we're social junkies to where because we're it's you know, you say, you know, if you don't care what people think, you're you know, you're a sociopath. Agree. Um, However, we have on both right and left decided we don't care what half of the country thinks of us. So we are what? A half a sociopath. There's a group of people, no matter what side you're on, no matter what the topic is, there's a group of people that have been deemed the enemy. And uh, so you can tweet whatever you want because you'll get all of the applause from your crowd, whoever your crowd happens to be. Right. Well, though, I mean, and those are deeper issues that have been exacerbated by social media, but I think you can look in history at, you know, the rise of fascistic governments in the past or any, you know, there's a long history of war in Mm -hmm. human history. So the fact that you have a country that's deeply divided by groups who think the other one is the spawn of the devil is not actually new, but we're seeing a particular version of it with social media. Partly we get to see it played out in public all the time. And I think it's also very easy to blame the technology for it without looking at some of the deeper causes. Um, And the issues around the attention are both um, when it's negative, like being able to rally people to your side by saying political things that are really outrageous, but they're also, it's also a problem when it's much more even positive things, like worrying about saying, shaping all of your views in terms of what will people like. Um, from the political stand, though, I think where there's a little bit of a difference on the right and the left, and perhaps this is where we may disagree, um, because I think that on the right you have a, or on the um, more authoritarian side, and I think there's an authoritarian left also, but where you have people who feel very, very strongly that they are absolutely right and that all the outsiders are just wrong is where you get the phenomenon you're talking about where they can or they will tweet something or post things that are not only outrageous but not true and it will get a great deal of approval from the others on their side and outrage the outsiders which is what they're seeking and that's a particularly dangerous phenomenon online so judith i i think that's a dangerous uh thing um anywhere myself it doesn't have to be right or left and and uh uh you know i i i write in my book that uh certitude is probably our 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 biggest threat right now everyone on each side is absolutely certain that their side is right as long as you agree with it a hundred percent uh you know their side is right the other side is absolutely wrong and this 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 certainty and i think that it does come from the extremes um, and I know that, you know, it's 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 the thing that I, I, I read in the book. The thing that one time made me popular is the it was the thing that everybody wanted, I guess. Uh, and I just I just I was right. I was right. Everybody else was wrong. I was right. I was certain of it. Now, 
the the less certain I become of things, the more I hear the pain in people on all sides of the front. And the more I'm noticing that it is it's the certitude in in the extremes on both sides that are killing us. I mean, you can't say, you know, you you can't say that, uh, you know, all people that want, uh, you know, a bigger welfare state are communists. That's ridiculous. And you can't say that all people that voted for Donald Trump are deplorables. Both of those are 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 wrong. And it seems as though we are only playing to those certainties at the extreme. And that's stopping us from being human beings and recognizing others as human beings. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that's a lot of the danger of um, the present moment is that ability to, once you start see seeing others as human and Part of the issue is if you look at the history of highly authoritarian movements, a lot of it is about trying to portray those who are outsiders as very, very dangerous and subhuman. And so you can do anything and say anything about them, and it only strengthens your inner group. And this is, you know, I'm, this is a phenomenon we're seeing much more now than we did, you know, even 10 years ago. And not just here, but throughout the world. There is a, um, there is a, um, an arrogance um, in some way to technology uh, right now, or those who are developing technology with, uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm concerned about um, uh, AI AGI, ASI, I don't claim to know, and I don't think anybody can claim to know with any kind of certainty, you know, when or if that can happen. Um, But it is something to think about, the upgrading, the transhumanism, the upgrading uh, of of ourselves, uh, the enhancements that are are coming. Uh, We're messing with um, things that we don't really even understand because we don't un- even understand ourselves yet. We haven't mastered our own self-control. Are you concerned at all? I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a technophobe and uh-huh. I'm not afraid of technology. I'm, uh, I am concerned about the goals of some of the technology uh, and how that those programs are written and what we teach. Are you concerned at all about uh, how some of this stuff will change us that we don't, we can't re- then reverse? I, well, I think there are a number of things to be concerned about with artificial intelligence. I think the immediate issue is the ability of machines to imitate humans in ways that we can't recognize. Um, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people are starting to be familiar with on Twitter, where it's very hard to tell if something was written by a human or by a bot. And the issue there is that, again, especially as a lot of our conversation occurs online, if you think you're speaking with another human, one of the important parts in what happens when we communicate with others, hopefully, <laughs> and when leaving out the mm. extremes of anger, is that there's a level of empathy underneath. Even if you're trying to persuade someone else, it's because you care what they think, and often you care what they think of you. 
And that's really sort of the fundamental part of our connection with others. But if you're conversing with a bot, there's no connection there. It's simply something that has been programmed to affect some means, right. some end. And so, so what made to be a lot more effective and more, much more persuasive than people are, while the people don't recognize what they're dealing right. with, or even if they do, you right. know, if it's something like an Alexa, it becomes your friend, it's in your house, it chats uh-huh. with you, you know, right. it asks you how your day was, but you don't know what is actually going on in the program and what its internal motivations are, which is likely how, to be, you know, something that's beneficial to the maker of it, not to yes. you. Yes. So is this, this is something that is, is um, uh, deeply concerning um, that, you know, Alexa will be um, everywhere. Google, you know, controls so much information and placement. Just slight changes to algorithms can uh, can change people uh, and and you know the most likely scenario is get them to spend more, spend more time, do something that the company wants. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it is it concerning to you? I, I've always been a capitalist. So I've always been less worried about the companies. I I'm concerned about the government and the companies. I'm concerned about anyone having this kind of uh, uh, power in our lives. Yes, I mean, I had always been mostly concerned with the companies. I thought the government was less worrisome. I'm now worried about both. But um, I think that, yes, I think the companies are are quite dangerous, partly because, I mean, and we may, again, differ here, is that it's both that they want you to continue to consume things, which is not necessarily good for your pocketbook. It's terrible for the environment, you know, so if you look at, you know, even a simple case where we leave out the government, we leave out worries about, you know, fascist governments controlling people, just companies doing what they need to do to make more money, if you can turn people into even more rabid consumers than they are now, you know, what does that do to our society? It's not a particularly um, healthy outlook. Well, and, I think, we've, I think we, we, we've seen this already play out with... Uh, you know, Bernays in the 1920s of, you know, the first, you know, king of advertising and how he could subtly move people in a different direction. I mean, it's why we have, you know, uh, ham and eggs for uh, for for breakfast. That wasn't anything except advertising. Very, very clever advertising at the time through our doctors. And I think we're kind of seeing just a modern version of that. Judith, I have to uh, uh, cut you loose. I thank you so much for your time. uh, And uh, thanks for being out there thinking uh, about ethics and what's happening with technology. Uh, Judith Donath, uh, a fellow of um, uh, Harvard uh, Berkman Klein Center. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. All right. Well, I got one. Th- I got. I got. We we had a point of. We had a point of agreement. Yeah. Uh, she was. She was. She was. You know, always concerned about the companies. I was always concerned about the government. Now we're both concerned about both of them. <laughs> Yay! That's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, all right, Stu. Are the studio chairs in yet? The uh, the X chair. No. 
okay, this is driving me nuts because I know the X chair people, they deliver right away. It is somebody in our organization who is slowing this down. Oh, yes. I'm sure Uh, they're here somewhere, but they're not in here yet. I'm not sitting on one, unfortunately. Would you find out for me today? Um, X chair is my new office chair, and I just ordered some for the studio, or I've asked somebody to order some for the studio, and they haven't been ordered, or something is wrong, but I know it's not with the X chair people, because I talked to the X chair people, and they're like, we'll ship it tomorrow. Okay. Just have your people contact us. Okay. Look, um, there are chairs that you get from Staples, and they're pieces of crap. And we all know it. And we spend more time in our office chair, in that Staples crappy office chair, than we do in our bed. If you uh, have a comfortable chair, you, uh, you know, enjoy work a little bit more. You'll feel the difference yourself when you sit in it. It's a great, great chair. It's called the X chair. Uh, and, and believe me, I, I've I've worked places. In fact, we ordered early on, you know, a couple of office chairs. Those are the really fancy designer chairs that are supposed to be so great. They're crap in comparison to this. They're crap. Try it for yourself. X chair now on sale for one hundred dollars off. And if you go to xchairbeck.com, that's the letter X chair dot com or call eight four 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 X chair. You not only get the $100 off, but it also comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, and you get the, uh, what is it, a foot rest, I think. So go to xchairbeck.com. Use the promo code BECK, that's B-E-C-K, and get a free foot rest and your X chair. Don't, if it's not as great as I say it is, send it back. 844-4-X-CHAIR or xchairbeck.com. You know, here's a here's a good example of the principle that I talk about in the book. And people say, oh, Glenn, you just want to surrender. You just want us to reconcile with everybody. No, 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 no. Notice the last interview. I, I at least felt it was hostile from the get go. Um, and uh, is well, she, she was wasn't. Let's all. say this. She was not going to agree. We were not going to agree. She was talking about certainty, but she, yet she was certain that the the problem was really more with the right than the left. Yeah. I made a choice. I could have talked to her for 40 minutes. I made a choice. You know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to change her mind and find a way to each other quickly in 40 minutes. And I don't want to argue with her. And I, you know, so there are some people that you, you talk to and you agree to disagree and you move on and you move on as friends. Others... I Glenn, think their minds can Beck, be changed. I'm not Mercury. sure she could have changed mine or I could have changed hers. This is the Glenn Beck program. All right. I want to talk a little bit about Brett Kavanaugh on the uh, latest developments and they're pretty they're pretty shocking uh, coming up in just a second. First, uh, Stu, you have a uh, uh, good news update? Yeah, and we never, you know, we get to do this like once every 6 months, so let's do it today. Um, in the year in which we had the March for Life, right, how bad gun crimes are and how bad all of this is, not to mention all the craziness going on in Chicago and other cities, the preliminary numbers are coming out for crime in 2018, down, murder, down 7.6%. Um, wow. That is uh, That would bring us to the bottom of the post-1990 decline in murder rate, so the lowest murder rate in about 30 years. And crime overall, um, cities will experience the lowest crime rate since at least 1990. And it e- does not 
feel this way. It doesn't. It feels so dangerous outside. I know. it's That's crazy. It's incredible. And even this, this one I found it because, you know, look, the leftists, they'll do all their gun stuff, right? And this kind of shows mm-hmm. that that's not the problem they're saying it is. It's, a, you know, it's still a problem, obviously, when anyone gets hit. But it's like, this is a decreasing problem going in the right direction. But even in Chicago, a drop of 23.2% in murder rate in Chicago. What? In, in, that means like no one else is killing each other. <laughs> it's uh, just like just just the bad, nasty sections of town. We have got somebody has got to pay attention to and listen to the people in Chicago. We, we, you know what? We should just go up. We should do a show in in, you know, I don't know. I don't know even how to organize it, but. But do a show up in Chicago and just talk to the community. What is happening? What is happening? Because you know those people there that are living there are freaking out. Wouldn't you freak out? Mm -hmm. And you would want the politics to stop and say, you know, imagine, for instance, Parkland. You're in you've got kids in school in Parkland and nothing has been done except this big national debate about guns. Can you imagine as a parent, you'd be like, could somebody... I want my kids to be safe. Can we make progress on anything? Think of the people that are in Chicago that are living in those neighborhoods and they see that they're just being used by the media one way or the other, one side or the other, uh, in this stupid national argument and nobody's seeing the individual. Mm. That's not, that's really not good. Um, All right. Also, let's go to, uh, uh, let's go to the Brett Kavanaugh story. As um, as our guest a few minutes ago, um, who perhaps I misread, um, was was talking about certainty. Um, I think a good example of certainty is is this Brett Kavanaugh thing. First of all, if you're defending Brett Kavanaugh and saying he absolutely did not do it. You don't know that. Don't be certain. You don't know that. It. I, I have not seen credible facts on this to make me think that he did do this but i don't know nobody knows apparently the only ones that know he and she this is a he and he said she said kind of scenario and the other guy Period. who was there and also said so it's a he and he and she okay now yesterday she had another she come out and the evidence yesterday they were they were presenting this as see there's another witness has come forward the witness that came forward yesterday said, yeah, I remember there was a buzz in high school about this. Okay. Well, 24 hours later, she's come out again and said something different. Yeah. She's now saying, uh, well, I, I didn't mean to say that, that I knew that he did this. Now, in her tweets, she did say, she said basically like, just admit it uh, and, and say you're sorry and move on or something like that. Um, she said that she heard a buzz about the incident uh, and that it was uh, kind of ex- known that it had occurred. Today, she's like, well, I never I never meant to suggest that I knew that anything happened. She's like, I didn't I just wrote that on social media. I didn't know I was going to have to defend myself on 50 cable channels. Uh, and- oh, my gosh. Listen to this. Yeah. So this is this is what I wanted to get to with Judith, but I don't think we could have gotten there. Um, just because of our politics, which was unfortunate. And maybe it was just me that read it that way. But this is what we should talk about. Here's somebody who, if I remember right, Stu, her exact words were, I was empowered. Yeah. 
on social media. I was empowered right? on social media, and I posted it. I didn't think I'd have to um, uh, defend, it. defend it on 50 cable channels. Right. So I was empowered. Now think of this. Mm. I'm empowered by social media to go on and say, just admit it. You know, I heard a buzz about this. Just admit it. Now you're being asked to come on cable television. You're being asked to testify under oath. And she's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, I don't know if this really happened. I don't have any proof. That's the difference. That is the addiction to outrage and the willingness just to be certain for posturing, just to be certain when you're absolutely not certain. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're, I mean... Man, I don't know. I, some, I, I have a very low opinion, particularly of people in Washington, and, and I try, you try to look at people as individuals, and I just have to believe that, you know, they you go home at night after a day of going on television and saying things like, they want to silence this accuser by inviting her to testify in front of America about her story and get more attention than it possibly could have ever had. Uh, when you say things like that, you have to know what you're saying is 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 a lie. You have to know what you're saying doesn't make sense. You can't believe that. You can't believe. Okay, you let can't. me play the other side. Let mm-hmm. me play the other side. Uh, try to think. Um, uh, they're trying to silence because, try this out for size. Mm-hmm. They're trying to silence because here's this woman who has been victimized. Um, and they're going to get get her up there and... <laughs> I mean, this is this is hard for me to swallow if I actually have this point. And you know what happens. You know what they do to people who are testifying. Mm-hmm. They'll be saying horrible things about her. The senators will be saying horrible things. They won't really be questioning her. They'll they'll just make speeches. Uh, the place will go in, you know, and, and people will be shouting. behind. I mean, basically, you can't put her in that situation because our side just did this to Kavanaugh. <laughs> right. Of course, they you know? offered to do it in private. So uh, that even that doesn't work because it's not about, an, you know, I mean, I guess she'd be embarrassed in the room. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what the bottom line is. What did you what did you think? There is no other evidence other than her. Uh, yeah, right. There's no other evidence other than her saying it. It's the same. There's the same amount of evidence of her claim as as me saying I own Australia. I just said it, so that there, there's your evidence. Th- that's it. There's nothing. There's nothing. Well, now else Australia here. has to answer for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but again, like I think it's overtly disingenuous, and the even it's not the question of whether uh, whether America believes these claims. The left doesn't believe them. The left does not believe the things they're saying right now. And how do you? How do you, and and you know this all goes down to the idea of the ends justifying the means. We need to stop him because we think Kavanaugh's bad. And we, if we can get past this election, we might win and we might have a chance to do our thing. So, uh, based on that, say or do anything to stop him. Even if what you have to say is blatantly false, even if you have to accuse him of terrible, terrible things, even if you have to make arguments that are, are blatantly nonsensical, go ahead and, and do it. And that, you know, that is a, that's like, you should never put yourself. I heard a woman on, uh, I think we actually have the audio, I think, of this, but the, she said the Republic, she said the Republicans are telling the accuser she will never be able to tell her story. Now, first How, of all, by she, asking her to invite her. Number one, they asked her to come tell the story. That's the request. Here, listen to this real quick. 
Dianne Feinstein handled this matter in the way that she handled it. That has nothing to do with Dr. Ford and her right to be given a fair process. And it, nothing can be fair when she's being rushed, an arbitrary deadline. There are no deadlines set for when this confirmation vote has to take place. They've what set this arbitrary deadline. For? They've said to her, you provide us with your statement by Friday. You show up here by Monday. And if you don't, you will forever be forbidden from telling your story, your truth about so you will forever be forbidden right number one as you point out this is a story about her being asked to come talk about her story this is what the the, the it, it, that's what it is number two she will ever she will forever be forbidden to tell her story she had 36 years to tell her story and then finally even if let's say the Kavanaugh thing goes forward and he gets confirmed is there anything preventing her from telling her story after that? No. Nope. No. The point is, it is of no value to Democrats if she tells it after that. The only thing this is about is them blocking Kavanaugh. They don't care about this woman at all if she actually had these uh, uh, abuse uh, actually happen to her. They are rooting right. for it to be true. And that is right, disturbing. So, so here's the thing. I think you're right on this, but I also think that some... Uh, some people on the left look at this entirely differently and do believe it. Okay. They do believe this. I don't think you can. And here's no, no, no. Hear me out. Mm -hmm. If you are a postmodernist social justice warrior. Okay. Mm -hmm. So postmodernism has now been embedded into social justice mm -hmm. and it's why it makes it so wicked because you can believe this. Here's what you believe. And I'm not making this up. This is how social justice coupled with uh, postmodernism works. Here's this victim. She's a victim. She's a woman. Okay. She's a part of an oppressed class. All women are oppressed. If she didn't experience it, someone else has experienced that very same thing. Mm -hmm. So she's just a voice for all of those who have experienced this. So we must believe her. Because we're no longer talking about her. We're talking about the collective. And we must stop men from doing this. Mm -hmm. So we support her because she is going after the system, the patriarchy, the system that has repressed these women and kept women silent for so many years. Okay? Yeah. And they absolutely believe that. They can also absolutely believe that he is in it, or no, I can't say innocent. He is. He did not do it. But it doesn't matter in the new postmodern social justice because of social justice. We're looking at the collective. And so if it didn't happen to her, it doesn't matter. It's happened before. If he wasn't the perpetrator, it doesn't matter because there's another cisgender male who has done this. Yeah. And so by getting him and supporting her it provides the collective justice. Yeah, I mean, that's why you should be terrified of this kind of justice. This is the argument of the OJ jurors, right? I mean, they, they said, yes. "Look, I don't exactly know. Right. OJ may have killed that white woman, but and they may have not have framed him, but police have framed them before, and and black right. people have been falsely accused before. Exactly Therefore, right. OJ is innocent. I mean, the same thing. And you know, that. Go ahead. And, and that comes from outrage. That comes from anger. That comes mm -hmm. from a place of being ignored, of people not really talking about the issue. And it will 
only get worse. I have one more thing. I just want to I just want to stress this. Remember that the woman who came out yesterday said she was empowered. She was empowered. What does she mean by that? She was empowered by the Internet. Was she empowered by the people who liked and retweeted it? Was she empowered by I'm suddenly popular? Was she empowered by look, someone's listening to me? Did she feel empowered um, because she was the one with the memory? What what was she empowered by? How is that working? Because it's working on all of us. Why did she feel empowered to tell something and say things that the very next day when people took her seriously and she saw the ramifications of her words? Why? What made her so empowered to say these things that could destroy people one day and the next day go, wait, wait, wait. I No, I don't even know if that's true. That's a pretty powerful, dare I say it, hit of dopamine, jolt of dopamine. There's some kind of drug that empowers you to do that. You go into a lot of that in the book. Uh, Addicted to Outrage, it is available uh, right now at bookstores everywhere. I didn't know that, Stu. Thank you. I just wanted to let you know. Uh, All right. I want to talk to you about American financing. Um, We've we've brought this up three times today that it looks like the House is going to go to the uh, the Democrats. uh, And it is the House that, you know, files for impeachment and impeachment doesn't mean removal from office. There's two things. The House has to vote to impeach. Then it goes to the deliberative body, the Senate. Uh, and they have a trial. So it doesn't matter if they even have evidence. They can impeach. It's the trial that removes the president. I believe they are going to impeach this president. When these things happen, I'm telling you, our stock market, uh, our dollar, our our economy, everything is going to change. Everything's going to change. Okay, so what does that mean uh, for you? Right now, American financing is uh, uh, is is the place that you can go um, and get the uh, financing for your mortgage for your house. If you're looking to buy a house, remember how hard it was after 2008. If you're looking to buy a house, now is the time to secure your mortgage. If you're looking to refi. Now is the time to do it. Get out of an adjustable loan and get into a locked-in mortgage. Do it now. American financing and the people that I trust, I have trusted them for a very long time. They're salary-based, so they're not trying to sell you an instrument the bank is pushing. A-plus rating with the BBB, over 1,800 Google reviews for a reason. It's American financing. Call them now. American financing. 800-906-2440. 800-906-2440. Or AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Last night I recorded a uh, podcast with Lewis House. He's uh, he does the uh, School of Greatness. It comes out I think next Wednesday. He's he's just a, a just a real gentleman. He's great. Sunday Ben Shapiro. I'm on his uh, Sunday Conversations, 
Adam Carolla next week. Also, uh, uh, Louder with Crowder today live at uh, 3.45. He's going live on all of his platforms. So it'll be, you know, YouTube and everything else. That's 3.45 Eastern time with, uh, with Stephen Crowder today. Glenn Beck. Mercury. 